0: Welcome back to another episode of Light Night Rabbits. I am your host, Matt, and I hope that your weekend has been going great. You know, whether or not it's just started, hopefully that you're safe, you know, all that good stuff. I want to thank you for your support as well with this podcast and all that you do to help push this podcast apart. And without that being said, know if you want to have other people, whether it's your family, your friends, you know, whoever, share this episode with them, share this podcast in general. Say, I found a really great podcast that you like. Listen to these episodes, because it is what matters most. ...that we grow this podcast farther and farther out... ...all across the world. That being said, though... ...this episode, before we actually get into this episode... ...is going to be a multi-part episode. What that means is that... ...there is so much information... ...about this episode that I just can't put it into... ...one single episode without it being like... four to six hours... And i'm not going to do that so this is going to be a multi-part episode i don't know how many parts and a lot of these type of you know rabbit episodes might be that where there's just so much that we go through that we just can't put it into one episode but without that being said if you have been you if you haven't been notified um with these episodes or any series from this podcast make sure that you get notified because how else are you going to find out when our episodes come out if you are you are already following us and you don't know why you're being notified uh, it's because whenever you follow us you just didn't choose to have the option of being notified if you're new here and want to follow us make sure that you hit that notification um, button that enables you to get notified. Without further ado, this first part we are going to go over is not necessarily about Gary Webb. No, we're going to trail down this rabbit hole of the CIA and the corruption over the years with terrorist involvement corruption and so many more things then eventually we will get down to Gary Webb's part because it all ties in you know even if it's indirectly it all ties in to what Gary Webb has said about the CIA. the first part we are going to focus on though is the start of World War 2 and we're going to go over you know, several years of summaries of the CIA, all the way up to 1996, which is roughly when Gary Webb started writing and publishing his series. That being said, just stay tuned, let's get into this episode. So the Office of Strategic Services, or OSS, and the Office of Naval Intelligence, ONI, the CIA's parent and sister organizations, cultivate relations with the leaders of the Italian Mafia, recruiting heavily from the New York and Chicago underworlds, who members including Charles, or AK Lucky, Mayor Lansky, Joe, and Fred Costello. And these people helped the agencies keep in touch with the Sicilian Mafia leaders, excited by the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. Domestically, the aim is to prevent sabotage on the East Coast parts. While in Italy, the goal is to gain intelligence on Sicily prior to the Allied invasions and to suppress the Virgin Italian Communist Party. So further down the road, um, a guy, or aka Lucky I should say, um, was the president in New York and he earns a pardon for his wartime service and is deported to Italy. From there he proceeds to build his heroin empire, first by divide, diverting supplies from the legal market before developing connections to Lebanon and Turkey that supply morphine base to labs. In Sicily. The OSS and ONI also work closely with Chinese gangsters who control vast supplies of opium, morphine, and heroin, helping to establish the third pillar, the post World War II heroin trade. Now, in 1947, in the first year of its existence, the CIA continues the U.S. intelligence com- community's anti communist drive. These agency operatives helped the mafia seize total power in Sicily and to send money to heroin smuggling Coruscant mobsters in Marcella to assist in the battle with communist unions for control of the city docks. Luciano and Coruscant by 1951 have pooled the resources, giving rise to the notorious French connection which would dominate the road heroin trade until the early 1970s. The CIA then also recruits members of organized crime gangs in Japan to help ensure that the country stays in a non-communist world. Several years, the Japanese yaku- uh, Yakuza emerges as a major source of meth in Hawaii. Then jump forward, you know, a year or so, the Chinese Communist Revolution caused a collapse of drug empire allied with U.S. intelligence communities. And what changes is emergence under the command of Nationalist KMT, which is technically commanded by General Lin Mei, who then flees Yunnan into eastern Burma. Then seeking to rekindle anti-communist resistance in China, the CIA gives some arms, ammunition and other supplies to the KMT. We see this a lot within a war. Oh, I hate to say it, we seen it with the Iran trade-off years and decades ago where we gave Iran arms and trade of hundreds of americans then we have obama doing it and he gave all literally like a lot of our weapons to syria who is in the taliban's hands currently and then we see a little bit of shift into trump and he did the same thing a little bit but it is a reoccurrence, or a recurring thing, I mean, when we talk about the CIA and our government giving weapons to people, whether or not they need them. In 1940 and, you know, 1950, I should say, the CIA launches Project Bluebird to determine whether certain drugs might improve its interrogation methods. This eventually leads the CIA head Alan Doles in April 1953 to institute a program for covert use of biological and chemical materials as part of the agency's continuing efforts to control people's behavior. As then there's other projects that come afterward, like Project Arctic Choke and Project Chatter. These projects continued through the 1960s, with hundreds of unwitting test subjects given drugs, including LSD. I, I'm going to reflect on that, and I hope you do too. You know, the government has always tested on random people. We look at Black people in prisons, where they tested on and gave them diseases. Then we have now a kind of a whole new era, you know, where where it actually started with bio and chemical warfare. And okay, we we created that, but it was with drugs because we wanted to control human behavior and see what the result is. I hate to say it, but I think a little bit to a majority of it during that time to drug users and all of that contributed to the rise of drugs. You know, it's like you try out a drug for the first time and you like it and you want more and more and more and it kind of works the same way. No matter if you want to have test subjects or not you might just have created a drug epidemic. Now, ten years later, in support of the U.S. war in Vietnam, the CIA renews old and cultivates new relations with Laotian, Bernice, and Thai, or I should say Thai, not Thai, our drug merchants as well as corporate, military, and political leaders in Southeast Asia. Despite the dramatic rise of heroin production the agency's relations with these figures attracts little attention Until the early 1970s Then in 1967 Manuel Antonio Goes on the CIA payroll The first Actually, I should say he was first recruited by the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency in 1959 Manuel becomes an invaluable asset for the CIA when he takes charge of Panama's intelligence service after the 1968 military coup. This provided our government for covert operations and pretty much facilitating the use of Panama, as our intelligence in the United States gathered in Latin America. Then in 1976, CIA Director George Bush pays Manuel $110,000 for a service that he provided to our government. Even though as early as 1971, US officials agents had evidence that Manuel was deeply involved in drug trafficking. Although the Carter administration had suspended payments to Manuel, he did return to the U.S. payroll when President Reagan takes office in 1981. The general is rewarded handsomely for his services in support of conscious forces in Nicaragua. Uh, I know I totally mispronounced that. Don't hate me for that, please. And this happened in the 1980s. Then in 1986. Manual collected $200,000 from the CIA. It seems really shady. I'm just going to throw it out there. And we'll get into a little bit more of some more shady business obviously when we reach Gary Webb. But... It's shady. They hire a guy that's already suspected of drug trafficking. let him go after his services are done. Then is rehired despite his allegations of drug trafficking under the Reagan Oregon administration. Now let's go to May 1970. According to a Christian Science Monitor correspondent, who reported that the CIA is cognizant of. If not party to the extensive movement of opium out of Loyals, quoting that one charter pilot claimed that opium shipments get special CIA clearance and monitoring on their flights southward out of the country. At the time, some 30,000 US servicemen in Vietnam are addicted to heroin. Like I said, Oh, I'm not saying this has contributed to the test subjects and the use of drugs that are now illegal and I guess always have been, um, if you're not the government. You create a bigger problem definitely when a lot of servicemen are addicted to drugs, especially heroin. In 1972, the full story of how Cold War politics and U.S. covert operations fueled a heroin boom in the Golden Triangle. This broke when Yale University doctoral student Alfred McCoy published his groundbreaking study called The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia. And just like how the government always does when they don't want something coming out, they squash his book. Like literally, they, they were like, hey, we're gonna seize that book from you. You're not going to even publish that book. You're not going to do anything. And they attempted it. They attempted to do that every single time. 1973, the Thai National is arrested in connection with the seizure of 59 pounds of opium in Chicago. A CIA informant on narcotics trafficking in Northern Thailand he claims that agency had full knowledge of his actions. According to the US Department, or Justice Department I should say, the CIA quashed the case because it may prove embarrassing because of ties national involvement with CIA activities in Tallinn, Bernal, and elsewhere. Which makes sense, you know, like I said, it's in government. They don't want to, you knowing something. They're not going to tell you. They're going to do everything attempt to cover it up, and in this case it was covered up because this national from Thailand um, He was part of this with the CIA In June of 1975 Mexican police assisted by US drug agents arrest Alberto Cecilia Falcon He had a base operation somewhere in East Asia, or South Asia, i just say, and was reportedly generating $3.6 million a week from the sale of cocaine and marijuana in the U.S. When he was arrested, he claimed that he was a CIA protege trained as part of the agency's anti-Castro efforts. And in exchange for his help in moving weapons to certain groups in Central America, the CIA basi- facilitated his movement of drugs. In short, this guy claimed that the CIA knew about everything that he was doing, assisted him, and literally held his stuff for him. in like, you get arrested and your stuff is our stuff type of thing. It's We know you're doing it. Help us bring in these drugs. We're going to hold these for you. Type of thing. In 1974, Sicily's top aide, Jose Igazi, a CIA trained intelligence officer and Bay of Pigs veteran, reportedly lined up agency support for a right wing plot to overthrow the Portuguese government. Among the top Mexican politicians, Law enforcement and intelligence officials from whom Sicily enjoyed support was Miguel Nazar Haro, head of the Derechian Federal de Seguridad, or DFS, which is going to call it, okay, who the CIA admits was its most important source in Mexico and Central America. When Nazar was linked to a multi million dollar stolen car ring several years ago, or several years later, I should say, um, the CIA intervenes to prevent his indictment in the United States. I'm still saying it's shady, okay? You can think what you want on that part. Yeah, because for the simple fact that a CIA chain of intelligence officer and a veteran. Um, pretty much was like, hey, let's go overthrow this government, and you know this is how it's going to turn. On April of 1978, the Soviet-backed coup, coup, I should say, in Afghanistan, sets the stage for explosive growth in ties with Asian heroin trade. A new Marxist regime undertakes the goryest anti-narcotics campaign. Aimed at suppressing poppy production, triggering a revolt by semi autonomous tribal groups that traditionally raised opium for export. The CIA supported rebel begins expanding production to finance their insurgency between 1982 and 1989, during which time the CIA ships billions of dollars in weapons and other to aid guerrilla forces annual opium production in Afghanistan increases to about 800 tons from 250 tons. By 1986, the State Department admits that Afghanistan is probably the world's largest producer of opium for export, and the poppy source for a majority of the Southwest Asian heroin found in the United States. U.S. officials, however, did fail to take action to curb production. Their silence not only serves to maintain public support for the opium production, but also smooths relations with Pakistan, whose leaders, deeply implicated in the heroin trade, help channel CIA support to the Afghan rebels. That's really shady stuff. So, in short, what it's saying and what I'm saying is that the CIA had every opportunity. In Afghanistan to stop opium production they didn't stop opium production they kept silent about the failure and they just pretty much like hey we're gonna curb this we're gonna not stop this production of opium in Afghanistan because we want to smooth relationships with these people in these countries and on top of that helping Afghanistan rebels In June of 1980, despite advanced knowledge, the CIA fails to help members of the Bolivian militaries, aided by the Argentine counterparts, from staging the so called cocaine coup. According to former DEA agent Michael Levine, in fact, the 25 year old DEA veteran maintains the agency actively abetted cocaine trafficking in Bolivia. A government official who sought to combat traffickers, forced torture, and death at the hands of CIA-sponsored paramilitary terrorists under the command of fugitive Nazi war criminal, which was also protected by the CIA, Klaus Barbie. Just that little paragraph of like a couple of long sentences. It's just saying, hey, there's cocaine. We're gonna have a cocaine coup. And we know that it's trafficking in Bolivia. And in order, you know, to kind of make it serious, we're going to torture and kill these guys. Because that's what we ordered these paramilitary groups to do. But get this, once again, the CIA wasn't in command. They allowed a Nazi to be in command because this Nazi was protected by the CIA. And I'm guessing how this went between this Nazi and the CIA was like, hey, we're going to protect you. You know, we know that you killed thousands of people that we helped save. We're going to protect you because you may have information. You may help us with this cocaine coup. It happens quite a bit, actually. I hate to say how much it happens because it happens so much with our government offering deals and plea deals and you know cooperation tactics for terrorists to help us and then whenever a terrorist says hey I'm going to turn against you then the CIA is like okay do it and they allow them to do it It's, it's uh I'm not saying Osama Bin Laden like that. What it's like that, you know. The, the idea of Osama bin Laden working for the CIA, being protected by the CIA and the killed by our government is like that. On February 1985, DEA agent Enrique, or we're just gonna call him Kiki, is kidnapped and murdered in Mexico. The DEA, the FBI. And the US Customs Service investigators accused the CIA of stonewalling their investigation. And what that means, in short, is the CIA just like, hey, we're not going to provide the information, we're going to destroy any evidence, we're not going to help our own government out with your investigation. That's pretty much what they did. Um, US authorities claim the CIA is more interested in protecting assets, including top drug trafficker and kidnapping principal Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, In 1982, the DEA learned that Felix Gallardo was moving $20 million a month through a single Bank of America account, but it could not get the CIA to cooperate with this investigation. Felix Colorado's main partner is Hondarian Drug Lord. Von Rahman Mata Ballesteros, who began amassing his $2 billion fortune as a cocaine supplier to Albert, Al, I should say Alberto Sicily of Belkin. And Mata's air transport firm Sacto receives $186,000 from the United States Department uh, to fly humanitarian supplies, quote unquote to in uh Nicaraguan, like i said i'm going to pronounce that word sorry about that um contrast so which is going to say the contrast is from that area um from 1983 to 1984. um accusations that the cia protected some of mexico's leading drug traffickers in exchange for their financial support of the Contras, a leveled by government witnesses at the trials of Camarillo's accused killers. Let me read that last sentence for you. The CIA is accused of protecting some of Mexico's leading drug traffickers in order to get financial support of the conscience. And I'm going to point this out when we talk about Gary Webb, you know, through 1996 and beyond you'll hear CONTRA from the same area. You're going to hear how the CIA helped CONTRA out, and CONTRA helped the CIA out. So we're now getting to the CONTRA part, but we're not just exactly there yet. In January of 1988, um, it was decided that he has outlived his usefulness to the CONTRA cause. The Reagan administration approves an indictment of um, Norwegian on drug charges. By this time, U.S. Senate investigators had found that the United States had received substantial information about criminal involvement on top Panamanian officials for nearly 20 years and done little to respond. So we're kind of going back to the Panama stage. Now I guess they just rather focus on that, but who knows. In 1989 of April, the Senate Subcommittee on Terrorism, Narcotics and International Communications, headed by Senator John Kerry of Massachusetts, which yes John Kerry is still in the government, um, issues its 1,166 page report on drug corruption in Central America and the Caribbean. The subcommittee found that there was substantial evidence of drug smuggling through the war zone on the parts of individuals, Contras, Contra suppliers, Contra pilots, mercenaries even who worked with Contra supporters throughout the region. U.S. officials and subcommittee said failed to address the drug issue for fear of jeopardizing the war efforts against another you know, country where the Contra groups are. The investigation also reveals that some senior policymakers believed that the use of drug money was a perfect solution to the country's funding problems. You know, in short, the United States government knew about this huge drug smuggling through the war zone type of thing and did not address it. In January of 1993, A businessman, Aguino Malenia Osorio, is arrested in Lubbock, Texas, for supplying $90,000 worth cocaine to DEA agents. Malenia um, told Judge that he was working for the CIA, to whom he provides political intelligence for. And like I said, we've seen this before, you know, years before this. Uh, with the other drug smuggler guy so it seems like you know the government's pitting these drug smugglers even though these drug smugglers are helping them shortly after a letter from CIA headquarters is sent to the judge and the case is dismissed quote unquote I guess we're all aware that they or aka the CIA do business in a different way than everybody else to judge notes so he pretty much said no the cia works for our government but they don't work for our government because they do whatever they want they're going to protect these people and in this case the cia was like hey he said he's part of the cia we got to get in here and we got to stop this before anything else gets out that's what the cia did the cia operated Outside of the United States government, and you know, that whole chain of command type of stuff, I said, we're, we're intervening here. We're the government. We may not act like the rest of the government, but this guy knows that he works for us. We know that we're taking him into our own hands. Melania later admits. His drug involvement was not a CIA operation, explaining that the agency protected him because of value as a source for political intelligence in Honduras. This is the first time a drug smuggler that the CIA pin that was working for them retracted the statement. It's like you go you know, you're a serial killer, you finally get caught, and you're working like, let's say, for a under cover, I guess, government operation of sort, and you're like, hey, I know that I was working for the government, I can tell you way more. It, it seems like that as he recanted a statement. It, it's something that's actually very similar within the government, that if someone is working for the CIA, the FBI, or whatnot, it seems like a recant of the statement. And like I said, that's what Milena did, that's what they, he did, he's like, hey, I don't, no longer work for the CIA. But that's because they told me not to say anything else and reverse my statement. November 1996, former head of Venezuelan National Guard and CIA Operative General Ramon Gulin de Vela, is indicated in Miami on charges of smuggling as much as 22 tons of cocaine in the United States. More than a ton of cocaine was shipped into the country with the CIA's approval as part of an undercover program aimed at catching drug smugglers, an operation that was kept secret from other U.S. agencies. Now let me uh, reverse sign now. Former head of the Venezuelan National Guard and CIA operative General Ramon Gullian de Vela, is indicated. So low-key, he was working under a different military, but he was still working for our government. Which makes no sense because I don't necessarily think you can just say, Hey, I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm going to be part of this military in this country. Now, how it typically would work is obviously we see this in South Korea, we've seen this near, during, or I should say after 9 we, 11, we were like, hey, we're going to team up with these militaries. Like in 9 11, we teamed up with Afghan warlords, um, and they helped us. And then we decided, you know, we're going to shoot them. But that's a whole different story. Anyhow, you get the point. You know, you can't work for another military while being a U.S. citizen, working for the government. I get it if it's an undercover operation, but it kind of goes head-in-head in, head in what we've been discussing about the CIA so far. The CIA, in conclusion, had been smuggling drugs. And this type of drug is going to come into play. When we talk about Gary Webb, we're talking about cocaine. Why this is important to note now, is because when we talk about Gary Webb and his dark Alliance series, he says the CIA is smuggling cocaine into the United States, protecting those officials that do. That's why that's important. It's because not just he was working for a different military, it's because he was part of a CIA operation with cocaine. More than a ton of cocaine was shipped into the country with the CIA's approval as part of an undercover program aimed at catching drug smugglers, an operation kept secret from U.S. agencies and I'm gonna I, I don't think I need to re, re-say this but like I said, the CIA thinks they can work for the government and then they're like, you know, we're the government but we're our own government, we operate outside of your law, your standards, your commands, your chains. We do it our way, and we have the ability to keep it a secret. Because we receive payments from these drug smugglers. Now we're running out of time, but that's pretty much it. You know, in a short summary, and I found this from... How did I find this from? A congregational record that's titled Intelligent Authorization. Authorization Act for the fiscal year of 1999 so like I said the CIA is corrupt I don't know if they still are but they probably are doing some shady stuff under everybody's noses if they've been doing this And I'm not saying that they still are, but when we get into Gary Webb, he supposedly committed suicide in 2004. As he was still writing, but that's the CIA. So it's a complicated issue. Like I said, there's so much stuff about this that we just can't get through it all in this episode. Like I said, we're already 38 minutes in. But next episode, we are going to... now look over technically the reports. We're going to be looking at Gary Webb himself. The American journalist that literally wrote that the CIA doing this and everyone else ruined his reputation in his career leading up to 2004 including the CIA which did say when Webb published this during the investigations they did not do this keep that in mind for next episode or we actually get into Gary Webb. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Light Night Rabbits. See you next time as we follow the CIA cocaine drug smuggling trail.